we are coming towards the end. We've, we're, at, we're on this series on basic Christianity. Uh, what, what are the basic truths of the gospel? That was our catechism question today, actually. What are the articles Christians must believe? And we come to that famous line where it says, Jesus must come, he will come to judge the quick, the living, not just the speedy, right? the living and the dead. All right, it's talking about last judgment, uh, the, the Christian worldview, how will history end? And so next week we're going to look at the, po- the, the positive side, uh, everlasting life and the resurrection of the body. But today we talk about the last judgment. And so you've been waiting patiently for seven weeks. We end with bodies everywhere and say God loves us. And so now let's, let's look at those verses from Psalm 110. Let's read the passage and pray. This is the word of our God, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would teach us today to live more confidently in what Jesus has done. Uh, to trust that what we just read is true, that one day he will return and right all wrongs. And so as we talk about this and as we hear your voice to us today, do not let us harden our hearts in frustration and anger, but give us eyes to see the astonishing grace and goodness and long-suffering and patience you have towards us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment what it would be like if you really did believe this doctrine. Uh, that if you were controlled by the reality that Jesus one day in the future will get off his throne where he's sitting right now in heaven and he will come back again down to earth uh, to judge the living and the dead that every human being has an appointment in the defendant's chair uh, with Jesus behind the bench who knows all and sees all. What would you be like if you really believed that was going to happen? Right? And here's one description I came across of Christians who would believe this. It says, you have to work hard to offend Christians because by nature, Christians are the most forgiving and understanding and thoughtful group, I've ever, thoughtful group of people I've ever dealt with. They, they never assume the worst. They appreciate the importance of having different perspectives. They are slow to anger, quick to forgive, and almost never make rash judgments, and almost never act in anything less than a spirit of love, a love that is patient and kind and not keeping a record of wrongs. And then the description ends with, no, wait, I forgot. It wasn't Christians I was thinking about. It was a Labrador retriever. (laughs) I know that burns a little bit, but it makes a really good point of, to the degree that we are easily easy to offend and quick to get angry and slow to forgive, it's actually evidence we've, we've lost sight of this doctrine. 
Uh, this truth that Jesus is the faithful and true judge who will return to, to, to execute judgment on the living and the dead. And I know this is not a popular doctrine, but in our day and age, we need to lean into this because, again, this is going to help you deal with the ordinary conflicts that you live in every single day. Right? I mean, you will not find much in Barnes & Noble on this at all. Right? There is no get your best judgment now type book. And, and you got to confess, right? When I read Psalm 110 for the last seven, eight weeks, whatever it's been, to hear about bodies filling the earth, that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And yet, if we believe this, <laughs> we'd be slow to anger as God is slow to anger, not wanting anyone to perish. You'd smell like Jesus. The aroma of Christ would be in your home and in your house and in your heart. Uh, you'd be able to walk with your head held high, knowing that you've come through this judgment. Um, all through the Old Testament is this expression of joy. God is coming to judge. Let's clap our hands with the rivers, with the trees, with all of creation, because they're groaning for that day when Jesus returns to judge. So, if that is true, we have to talk about and make ourselves very familiar with what it means for Jesus to come and judge the living and the dead. And so I've got three points. The first one is, uh, is this, that, that the last battle with evil is coming. There is a last confrontation where evil will be done away with. And that's, that's what Psalm 110 is leaning into. That's the story, right? The story of Psalm 110 is something like this, that God put Jesus, the Messiah, as king in charge, sitting at his right hand, ruling with all authority and power in heaven and on earth, and behind this Jesus is a, an uncountable number of followers, Jesus' people, who love him, who love this Jesus. Uh, because he is not only their king who defends them, he's their priest who represents them in heaven, who's ruling for them. And then Psalm 110, 5-7 uh, is pushing this, that right now this kingdom exists with Jesus in charge. It's surrounded and assaulted by evil. But one day, this good and gracious king is going to get off the throne, verse 5. And he's going to, on the day of his wrath, he will finally do away with all the enemies. Bring a final end to evil, usher into a new creation, and that is the day that our hearts long for. All right, so verse 5 through 7 packs in the doctrine of the last judgment. Uh, the, the battle that will commence when Jesus gathers everyone up. And it's telling you that, Victory is assured even before it happens. Right? So verse 5, that's what it says. He will sh the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. That theology right there, it, it packed into the Old Testament over and over again, is telling you God has a day when his patience will run out and he will come down to earth to fix what we keep trying to fix and making it worse. <laughs> right? It's a, it's a day when all enemies, selfishness, sin, and death, evil, are finally destroyed. It's a day when that evil that, that came into the world in, in the garden back in Genesis that has now become this unrestrainable beast. Uh, the serpent has become a dragon. Right? God himself has to fix this. That's what this is tapping into. And so if you look at it, it says, The Lord is at your right hand. All right, and so look carefully. Who is doing this judgment? And this is a really important point. Where are we in this? 
We're just witnesses. Because right? it says the Lord God is at the, the right hand of the Messiah here, which is Jesus. And so it's a picture of God doing justice, not you or me. And even, even the promised king who has all authority in heaven and on earth, when he goes to do battle against evil, he does so with humility. To be at the right hand is a, is a, is a description of strength, of power. Right? So it's a picture of Jesus, wholly dependent on God's strength and power to defeat evil and execute judgment on the nations. So just put those two categories in your mind. You're going to need them as we go forward. That, that this is showing you a humble judge, uh, a mighty warrior who is completely dependent on someone else. And so, here's the, the Christian doctrine of the end times, that there is a last day coming. History is a line that began in creation. There is a confrontation, an end point. History is linear. It's a line. When e it's a day when evil will be eradicated from every corner of the earth, from every human heart. The Lord will do this. I mean, just meditate on that. <laughs> and as I already said, when, um, when you read the Psalms, yeah, there's, there's scary bits. Absolutely. Uh, God is judge. He's bigger than us. This is outside of our control. But Psalm 96, Psalm 97, Psalm 98, you start reading these things. The hills, the trees, the seas, and everything that is within them is rejoicing when the Lord comes to judge on the earth. Right. Psalm 97 says, God protects his loved ones from the wicked and all those who love justice, who love Jesus, basically. It says, celebrate. This is joy for the upright. This is a, this is a doctrine that you need to be true. Right. So, on that day, we will see our Savior face to face. We will see our triumphant King who is just and gracious. He will set all things right, judge evil, condemn the wicked. Do you believe that? And do you believe you need that? Right. Do you believe that history is linear? Jesus is the author of history, and he's, he started this thing, and he's going to end this thing. Right. That the last battle against evil is coming. What, what emotions start bubbling up? Do you rejoice? <laughs> or are you terrified? Do you get angry and offended? Or maybe it's all the above and it's so complex and you just can't untangle it. Right. But what Psalm 110 is telling you and tapping into is that you need Jesus to be your true and faithful judge, the judge of the earth. Otherwise, you couldn't bear to live if, and get through any kind of conflict. Right? I mean, how many, how many unresolved conflicts do you have in your life right now? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's minor. Right? Where is the godly part of the toothpaste tube to squeeze? In the middle or the bottom? <laughs> maybe it's something major. Right? Life-altering scars, words that just rattle around in your head and that you can't get out. Right? Unresolved conflicts. The only thing that keeps us from lashing out, from vengeance, from verbally, physically assaulting someone, from shattering heads, as Jesus will do, right? Everybody had that parent say, I'm going to smash your heads together, right, when you're in trouble. Jesus is going to do that, resolve all arguments. 
It's, it's tell, the only thing that's going to keep you from retaliation is that the Lord will do this. Jesus will fix it, not you. Because right now, all of history, every, every life in this room is, uh, well, have you ever gone fishing? And you're all excited, and you cast out the first line, and boom, everything's a tangled mess. Didn't do anything to cause it, it just, boom. And the only thing you try and know how to do is just pull on it, and it just makes it worse. Right? See, the gospel is saying, that will all be resolved. Every loose thread will be, every crooked line will be made straight. The gospel, <laughs> the last battle is coming. You need someone to do that because we can't. I know the assumption of our non-Christian neighbors, and maybe yours as well, that if, if I believe that God is judged, that'll make me more judgy, more judgmental. Um, but it's actually the other way around. Right? That if, if I don't believe this, I have no reason to not be judgmental. <laughs> to not draw a sword verbally and come after you when you come after me. That's why I, 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 I refer to Miroslav, Miroslav Volf, I can't say his name, regularly when we talk about judgment because he's somebody who experienced genocide in Croatia, all kinds of violence, and he said that the only way you could ever stop a group of people like that to say, you should forgive, is to tell them there is a God who will put a stop to that. God will fix that one day. And so what, what Psalm 110 is telling you and calling you poetically, um, it's calling you to imagine what it would be like for all the evil in this world, for all of the unresolved conflicts in your life, to believe that God is judge, and at the end, at the last battle, this will be resolved when the one who knows all will execute judgment among the nations. That includes us. And that judgment will be executed by a good and gracious king. Right. And so the Christians, when we... This is the attitude that we're called to have when we, when we hear these things, is to pray things like this. How long do we have to wait? <laughs> it was Romans 8 earlier. We wait for it with patience. Sometimes. Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall my enemy stand over me, exalted above me? Why do I have to cry every day? When are you going to fix this? See, with the Lord at your right hand, it's letting him be your strength, letting him be your, 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 your warrior, even in conflict. Right now, right today. Because Psalm 110 is, is in the Psalms. This is supposed to be practical. I know when I read the, before this sermon series, I would have read Psalm 110 and said, huh, okay. But when you dive in and realize it's all about Jesus, this is immensely practical. This is the gospel, to the good news of what Jesus will do to give you hope right now as you were assaulted by evil inside of you, <laughs> your own mistakes, and evil outside of you, other people. This is saying Jesus will get off his throne and say, no more, I've had enough, I'm coming to fix this. So let this psalm invade your thoughts. The Lord has a day of wrath, of anger, because he's not happy with the mess. He will take a final stand against evil. This is the only rational response to evil, is to stand against it. 
when Jesus comes to judge the quick and the dead. Right? And so this is just as true as for those big things like genocide as it is for us here when you're getting bullied by your, your, your sibling. You know, kids, if you're getting pushed around. Right? It's for anyone who's been harmed in any way, unfairly criticized, mocked, bullied, shamed, who's ever been in any kind of conflict, which is a 100% participation rate in the human race. Right? This doctrine is for you. You need it. God is bigger than every form of wrong that you have experienced. The Lord is at Jesus' right hand. He will empower him to do this. So, that's point one. The day of wrath, the last battle, that's coming. When Jesus, empowered by God, right now, even before he came, he was assured of victory. And the second point, this last battle will include you and me. And this is supposed, you're supposed to feel the uncomfortable tension, right? Because it's out of my control. It's saying God will show up. It's, it's the last battle will include you because really what this is showing you is, is Jesus here with his army, the church behind him, and evil and, and all the leaders of evil and their armies behind them against each other, right? The God of grace and his followers who have been graced against evil. Right. And so what, this, what I see this text to be, it's like an air raid alarm. Right. We, we can tame the gospel. This is trying to get your adrenaline flowing, that, that you're in danger to see that we should pray, Lord, deliver me from evil, that there is something like evil in the world, that, that the gospel is it's always using warlike imagery. This is poetry. It's trying to give you, get you to look at your life from a different angle. That's what Psalm 110 is doing. And because we live in this world where evil is ordinary, <laughs> I, we get lost in the fog of war and conflict just becomes mundane and this is how I live because people just do what people do. But if you look at this, this is asking you, and I want to ask you, where are you in this picture? Right? Are you with Christ or against Christ? Will you stand at the last judgment? Will you be with the kings, staying against Jesus and his will for your life? Or will you be with those who want to use their power for their own good? Because right? if you look at verse 5 and 6, who's being judged? Because right? it says Jesus is going to execute judgment among the nations. Look at the categories. Right? It's all those in power. All those in authority. The kings, the chiefs. The heads, uh, it, it's talking about leadership, people in, in power, people in control. So verse 5, when it says those in, will have their heads shattered, or the shattered kings will be shattered on the day of his wrath. It's the same language to describe Judges chapter 5, when Sisera, that evil Canaan king, uh, had his head shattered by a tent peg, by Jael. Right, we talked about that earlier this year. Right. Sisera was a terrifying king, used power only for himself. Uh, verse 6, about these chiefs that are shattered as well. Right. It's a picture of all these bodies filling the earth. It's, it's, what David's doing is taking the pictures of what Samson did against the Philistines, right, where bodies 
Um, just remember Samson and the Trail of Justice. There's bodies of the Philistines who were assaulting Israel that were using their power for no good. Uh, they were slain with the jawbone of the donkey. What, what David is saying is we need an event like that, a justice event, that is worldwide, where, we, where evil will not be allowed to stand. And in verse 7, after the battle, exhausted, just like Samson, uh, this king will drink from the water, be refreshed, be revived, be renewed, and he will lift up his head, because the work will be finished. So where are you? Why are these kings being judged? All right. And so just think about this. How have you used the power and influence that God has given you? This is, this is the humbling part. So Christian counselor Diane Langberg makes this point that every human being has power. You are given power in your life. You have power and influence. Some of you are physically strong. Right? You, big brothers are able to beat down little brothers because you're bigger, for now, until <laughs> the younger brother grows taller. Right? You have words. If you can speak, you have power and influence. Words to build up or words to tear down. We have emotional power. You can wipe away tears or you can cause them to flow. We have um, intellectual power. If you are good with words, um, that gives you a huge responsibility. <laughs> because if you're able to articulate and, and use words well, you can manipulate. Some of us are leaders, right, if you're a parent. You don't even have to be a manager in the office, but some of us are, right? You have positional power. And kids, you always have someone around you who's smaller than you. So how well do you listen and respond to those um, less than you? How do you respond to not being in control? How do you use the power that you have? Do you demand others serve you, or do you, do you serve them? How do you use the power God gives you? And our response to those near us, and especially those smaller and weaker than us, um, and when they don't listen and we get angry, <laughs> that says a lot more about me than my kids, for example. Right. So consider Jesus' teaching in Mark 10. This is a good example of those who had power and influence. They're Jesus' in, inner circle, the inner ring. And it says, parents were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples yelled at them. They rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was shaking with rage. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. See, the disciples have power. They have words. They have emotional power. And Jesus gets, some commentators will say, he was shaking with rage at the way his disciples treated those less than them. Because when they beat down those weaker than them with their words, it's telling you what's in their heart. That your life exists to serve me. Right. So when Jesus, well, just slow down there. Look at how Jesus responds to this one tiny injustice. You know, one moment of time. It is a injustice. He gets angry. And so when you come back to Psalm 110, look at, 
these kings of the earth who've only used power to feed themselves, how much, how much more anger is stored up for all those who will only use power for themselves? Because right? in, in Mark 10, the disciples, well, they, they, they twisted the truth to fit their agenda. They used their words for, their own, for themselves. Jesus wouldn't want to have any time for you. You're too small. They rebuked when they should have welcomed. And so every lie, every white lie, every Bernie Madoff like deceive the whole nation type lie, that's a, that's a, a way of abusing power. So they not only twisted the truth, but they used that power to control, to rule over others. And they, that's what they did. They said, we're up here. I'm in charge. Get out of the way. And so when... Psalm 110, and this is the whole story of the Bible. When Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, he's going to ask you, how did you use the talents and power and responsibility that I gave you? Where do you deserve to be in the last battle? Have you ever twisted the truth for your own gain? Have you ever used power just to stay in control because it's more comfortable? This makes me squirm. <laughs> Because it's saying that evil is in my heart. And Genesis 3.15 says, evil deserves to have its head stomped on. Psalm 110 is just making that picture much clearer and more global. And yet, <laughs> Christians, well, it's, what, it's our reflection. Our, it's a contemporary uh, description of the Christian faith. It says we can, when Jesus returns to set all things right, to judge evil, to condemn the wicked, we can face that day without fear. <laughs> Knowing everything you know about yourself. So how in the world do you face the last battle, the coming judgment, without fear? Right. Because on the one hand, if there's if there's no judgment day, every victim of ma truth manipulation and controlling and abuse of power, they get off the hook. We need judgment day, but if there is a judgment day, it looks really gloomy for anyone who's ever lived on this earth, because we've all told lies. We've all tried to hold on to some form of control, to wound. And so this is a, the final point. You can be unafraid of the last battle. And that's what the gospel gives you. <laughs> the strength to not be afraid of judgment day, to not be afraid of the last battle, to face that day with clapping, with rejoicing, to join with the trees who are unafraid because they are, well, they're part of creation, groaning, waiting for God to work with us. <laughs> All right. And so to get you there, what I want to do is I want to read Revelation 19 because Psalm, 5, Psalm 110 is quoted in Revelation 19. And as much as this drives me nuts, uh, there's way too many details to go into, but I want to pull a couple things out of it, how it's connected to Psalm 110. Right, Revelation's the last book of the Bible. I'm going to read verses 11 to 21 and make a couple points and we'll end. Right. Read this without fear. How do you do that? Revelation 19.11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it, this is Jesus, is called Faithful and True. 
And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is more gruesome than Psalm 110. <laughs> but it actually fills in some of the gaps. Right? So when you read this, you've got to focus on Jesus here, and this is where you've got to follow the line. Right? There are those, look at verse 13, there are those following Jesus on white horses in white and pure linen. How is that possible? Verse 8, you go back a little bit, it says it was given to them. And the white clothes in this battle is a picture of Christians who have been made clean, who have been made pure, who have been declared not guilty. It's the unfaithful dressed in the clothing of faithfulness. They have followed this Jesus the, the length of their life, and he has granted them by grace this clothing uh, to, that they look like him, right? Jesus is on a white horse. They are on a white horse. Jesus is clothed in a robe. They are clothed in a robe. Right? It's, it's this whole idea that Christians have been graced. See, Christians can face the last battle without fear because of who they follow, the one who is faithful and true, this humble divine warrior king of Psalm 110. Right? The Word of God. And when you hear the Word of God, if you know, maybe you don't know this, but John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John is the one writing the book of Revelation. And the Word of God is the same person who came down first, Jesus, as a human being. And listen to what Jesus said. For God did not send his, world in, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. <laughs> See, the way you come through the last battle unscathed, unafraid, is, sim is simple. It's faith in the Jesus who came to be judged the first time. Right. Jesus didn't come to judge the first time. He, came, he didn't come to condemn, but to forgive. And how did Jesus fight? And even in, through this text, how does he fight? It's not with a literal sword, it's with his words. 
It sounds gruesome because it's trying to get you to see he has power. But the way Jesus has fought this battle from the beginning, it's a battle of words and our willingness to listen. And God's loudest word and his last word on evil is the same as it was when, when Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. It's Jesus himself. Because right? Peter, ready to defend his master, to take violence into his own hands, he slices off the ear of the high servant. Jesus says, put that sword away. And so, when you watch Jesus go to war, is he using a sword, chopping down bodies left and right? Uh, flaming judgment? No, he didn't. He chose to absorb all the hate that, that those in power had to offer. The mocking, the spitting, the killing, and even the wrath of God falling on the innocent one. Think about how Jesus had to absorb that. You know, in Revelation 19, his, his, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and it's, it's this picture of he will do justice. It's a picture of the divine warrior from Isaiah 63, but I also wonder if John's trying to turn that on his head and say we also follow the one who was, who bled on our behalf. And do you know the secret of the way Jesus persevered when he was here on earth? Trusting in God's words. How he didn't retaliate when he was beaten down, when he was accused, when he was in the presence of real evil. It's just like Psalm 19, or Psalm 110. The, the Lord was at his right hand. He said, God will do this. The Lord loves justice. He will right this wrong, even if he has to raise me from the dead. Jesus entrusted himself to the God who judges justly as Peter would say. And that's why you can face the last battle unafraid. Because if you're a Christian, Judgment Day has already happened on the cross long ago. It is finished. And you've been granted the right to be clothed in pure linen, to ride a white horse like we had done anything at all. We're just, we're just along for the ride. <laughs> and the way you get there to get through Judgment Day and hear God say, I love you rather than I condemn you. Well, it, John said it. Faith in the Son, in the judge that God sent. If you believe right now, you are not condemned. If you do not believe and come to this Jesus, and it has, right, if this doesn't grab your heart because you're not believing, if you're mad at a God who would judge you, right, you're condemning yourself already before you ever get to the last battle. Because go back to Revelation 19. This is how Jesus fights. He uses words. Through words, he will defeat the false prophet, those who twist truth. By words, Jesus will defeat the beast. This picture of engorged power has just been feeding itself. By words, Jesus will put an end to those who rule like that. So right now, by faith, like Jesus before, you just have to trust that Jesus, armed with God's power, will rescue you. Will fix what you and I can't as we wait for the last battle to come, for Jesus to judge the living and the dead. And evil will fall, that's the promise, at the end of the story. And you notice it doesn't give you the gory details, really. It just says, they stood against him and they lost. It's not a competition. But when you see that judge on that day, even your virtues, how good you thought you were, they will be burned away. Because when you see Jesus, the judge, you will be like him. 
So, how do you live as if this is true? Right? Right now we live between two judgments. The judgment that already fell on Jesus and the judgment that will come at the end. And if you're a Christian, you're already forgiven and we wait by faith. As more than conquerors right now. <laughs> but we still have to wait. And the Heidelberg would say, here's the comfort for you. In all your sorrow and persecution, or I could add, all your unresolved conflicts, I can lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven, the very same person who submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. That's why I started. <laughs> right, if you really believe this, if you really believed, to the extent that you believe that Jesus is your judge, the returning judge, you'd be more forgiving. Because how can you not forgive as you have been forgiven? You'd be slow to anger. I mean, look at the patience. This kingdom is set up, right, and there's evil and enemies all around, and, and millennium have passed by, <laughs> waiting because God is immensely patient, right, not wanting any to perish, but waiting for you to put faith in the risen king, Jesus. Right. And so our call right now, and this is where I'm going to end, is you have to face evil the way Jesus faced evil uh, in his first coming. Not with a verbal sword, not with a literal sword, not with violence. Uh, to share in his sufferings, as Paul would say. To become like him in his death. To be kind to one another. <laughs> to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Right. See, when you face evil... You do so with a judge at your right hand. You don't go through it alone. And you do so with your head lifted high because he's not mad at you. <laughs> and this ought to make us the freest people in the universe. <laughs> so, do you see it? I'd love to talk to you more about this, but it's saying Jesus will come again to judge the quick and the dead. There is a day established. The last battle is coming. Uh, Jesus will win just by speaking, and that sets us free to live as more than conquerors in this world right now through him who loved us. Right? We can go forth knowing that, yeah, evil is real, but we can meet that evil with a battle song of triumph, that Christ is risen. Christ, is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Trust him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the goodness of, we thank you that in your goodness you, do, you take a stand against all forms of evil, small or great. And so we also praise you for the goodness of the gospel that right now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if those, there are those here who do not yet know that freedom of being forgiven, Lord, may your spirit come and, and invade their hearts and set them free. Uh, for all of us who continue to follow, give us the faith to look up in the midst of our conflict, uh, to bear the wounds, to, to share in your sufferings because you first suffered for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.